Hi, welcome to At the Table podcast with uh, Bishop Sue Hoppert Johnson. It's great to be with you. Uh, it is uh, gorgeous weather, gorgeous day. I hope you fully uh, enjoyed it today. And from what I've seen and what I've experienced, it really was a joyous Easter. As many people saw each other again, some beautiful outdoor services, some really well done indoor services. Uh, I I love seeing the wide variety. Uh, I was like a kid in a candy store watching worship throughout the annual conference, all size churches, all size places, and um, just loved it. And I um, I appreciate all that has gone into it. And I just wanted to take time uh, to thank you for all your efforts to let you say, man, we noticed and we've appreciated and we realized just what a huge effort it's been to live it into a whole new era of the church that was forced upon us. I think probably, um, you know, I always think back to the last church I served, and I've said this before, the Baptist church downtown was burned down by an arsonist. And they had to move out of town and they bought a ton of property and they thrived. And the Methodist church didn't have to do that. And it got complacent and it got smaller and it declined. And so by the time we got there, we had our work cut out for us. But sometimes God uses unrest and discontent to um, to move us to a new place. And so that's part of what I wanted to talk about. Uh, the focus of the night tonight is exhaustion and just the reality of exhaustion. The real danger of getting lost in exhaustion. I mean, clergy burnout is high. Lay folks, you too. I mean, you know, uh, the the liquor stores have done well during COVID. Um, I'm sure all sorts of other things have done really well because people just need to cope. And people, when they get exhausted, uh, do things that aren't necessarily healthy. So I think the first thing I would say is... Um, Years ago in Florida, we went through a phase where we had candidates for ministry and they would assign them a study group to work on stuff with. And so uh, my friend Tom was a candidate for ministry and he was a juvenile diabetic and they assigned him a group of us, uh, the probably six clergy. We met every couple of weeks to talk to him about stress and we did all these stress inventories and we um, talked about stress and, and uh, you know, obviously, you know what happened. All the clergy, Tom was great. We, we gave him flying colors, but all the rest of the clergy were like off the chart stress. And we really had to have some, some hard conversations about how do we, how do we function in, in high stress jobs? And really, everybody has had a high stress job over the last year, right? Even if you're home retired you've had a high stress job. And so, um, but what we learned about stress was there is good stress and there's bad stress. There's distress, which is bad stress. And there's eustress, EU stress, which is good stress. And I think when we're talking about exhaustion, it's the same thing. There's good exhaustion and there's bad exhaustion. And so uh, tonight I just want to take a little bit of time to open ourselves to prayer, but to talk candidly about uh, the, the, how hard it is to live in the world today and some of, the, some of the stressors, some of the exhaustion, but then how do we know if it's good or bad and how do we make it work for us and not be destroyed by it? So let's pray together. Gracious God, we draw close to you. 
Remind us to do this day in and day out uh, because you are the focus and you are the one who knows us. You created us. You know how we're put together. You know what stresses us out. You know what our fears and our anxieties are. You know us more, as scripture says, you know us, you know what we're going to say before we say it, which is always terrifying, we confess. But we look to you. We look to you and to your Holy Spirit, a spirit of comfort and a spirit of teaching. And we ask you to um, give us open hearts and minds as we as we're honest and candid and really address these things that are very real in our lives today. In your name we pray. Amen. I always turn to Matthew 11, right? This is a good one. Come to me, Jesus said, all that you are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest in for your souls. That's a good word, isn't it? Uh, that Jesus is gentle and that he, uh, you know, so many times I feel like God is painted again as a harsh judge or a critic, but Jesus is merciful and gentle. And that's the kind of person we need to hand this work over. And so remember that, remember that. And a couple of images that I've used often, and you're probably sick of hearing me, but one is when I go to bed, I picture myself as a little child in bed in the, in the palm of God's hand, gentle, merciful, protective. And then the other one, uh, when Sam, my daughter, Samantha was little, um, I've said this before, but I love this. She, um, she uh, that was back when all of your electronics had a cradle, right? You had a dock. And you put them in a dock. And every morning when she was three, two, three years old, she would come and get in my lap. And I was like her docking station. And she would just rest calmly. The only time she was calm all day, but she would rest calmly. And she would uh, just, you know, relax into me. And it really felt like she was powering up. And then, um, so sometimes in my, in my meditation time, I just rest in God. That's an ancient uh, mystic kind of um, prayer uh, status, but you just lean back in the arms of God and you and you bask in it and you bask in the love and the mercy and in the one who wants to give you rest. And I really do get a sense of empowerment. You know, I feel like my power grid goes up. Uh, so do that. Um, and, and as we talk about uh, exhaustion, a lot of exhaustion comes from just relying on ourselves, right? That I have to do, I have to perform. And God really isn't looking to you for performance, thank God. God is looking to you for faithfulness. And that, um, you know, the irony is when I drop the performance mentality and connect with God, much more happens, right? Because the Holy Spirit's flowing and energizing and showing me how to work better, work smarter, do what God has in mind. So um, a lot of this is about surrender and just basking in God's presence. And when we talk about good exhaustion and bad exhaustion, kind of calibrate where you are today. I mean, you know, uh, all of us, uh, clergy and lady who work hard on Holy Week, 
there is a certain amount of exhaustion to be expected, right? You have, you have come through. I always felt like Holy Week was the gauntlet, right? It, you just had service after service thrown at you. And always weird stuff happened or the car would die or somebody would die or a pet would get sick or there was always complicating factors. So the Monday after Easter should have been exhausting, right? And there was a good exhaustion to that, a good exhaustion that we saw the fruit of our labor and we rejoiced. And it was a major gift packaged and given to our congregations, these services of love. And that was a that was a good thing. And that was a joyous thing. So do you have good exhaustion today? Um, you know, there's, there's uh, also calibrate, is it is it mental or physical or spiritual? You know, I want to get back to the gym. I have become quite a couch potato. And so one of my, one of my goals, which I think does help exhaustion is just to go work hard physically. Cause there is a, you know, there is a joy in physical exhaustion and there is a joy in sleeping hard. Nothing's better than going to bed after working hard physically. So are you physically exhausted? Are you mentally exhausted. Sometimes our brains just go into overkill. And with social media and all the kind of stimulation, it's like, God, you're killing me. Stop. And so maybe for part of the mental stuff, you just need to unplug or get away or just quit thinking for a while, right? Uh, I'm practicing mindfulness, meditation, Christian meditation, where you just stop your brain and you focus on your breathing. Uh, that's important. So are you are you mentally tired or are you emotionally tired? I mean, let's just name it. I'm through my funk. I went through a funk a couple months ago, but are you just emotionally spent and you have every cause to be emotionally spent? Uh, there are so many factors between uh, racial unrest and political unrest and just meanness. There is, if you haven't noticed, there is a meanness in our streets. And I am tired of it. I'm tired of people and, and, and Christian people, Christian people throwing the fruits of the spirit out the window, just mean, just ugly, looking for an angle, looking for ugliness. And that's exhausting, isn't it? Especially if you're clergy, but it just, uh, <laughs> I, I always think of Fred Craddock. He was the, the great preaching professor at Emory. <laughs> and he said, you know, he was candid one day. He said, you know, sometimes I think Jesus had it easy. He got it all over with in three hours on the cross. And some of us, God help us. <laughs> we have bites taken out of us little by little over 40 years. And there's truth to that, isn't there? I mean, there's, a, you know, I've, I've had enough. Um, so I think that that's that's an um, that is a spiritual exhaustion, an exhaustion of just um, I call it I, I've had days of just existential angst. What does the church exist for? Where's the transformation? How can people be in Sunday school every Sunday of their lives and be just jerks? How, how can this be? And part of it, too, I think the exhaustion of clergy working to have programs and working to teach people and working when what we're looking for is a transformation of the heart. We're looking for folks who are made perfect in love. That's the goal. And Jesus says that to the Pharisees time and time again. You guys, I'm going to paraphrase Jesus, but this is like all the gospels in a couple sentences. You guys keep all the rules. 
You guys are the rule keepers. You are the ones holding out the rules. You even, you even tithe on herbs, right? Mint and dill. But you're not loving and you're not open and you're not welcoming and you're not reaching all of God's children. And he had to say that time and time again. I think, you know, his parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? Where the Pharisees in the temple praying, oh God, thank God, I'm not a tax collector. And the tax collector's praying, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We're looking for transformation in our churches, folks. We're looking for folks with broken and contrite hearts. We're looking for folks who are looking for a kind of love only Jesus can have. And that, that gets to me. Uh, that, you know, I think a lot of the exhaustion among clergy and lady is, why aren't our people more loving? Why aren't our churches places where people, I mean, ah, oh, I, I look at younger generations. A lot of them come out of divorced, broken families. They, they you know, they're just looking for acceptance. They're just looking for a place. Um, you know, I was thinking yesterday as we had a great meal, Alan and I together, I just thought how many times in my life have I been at loving tables? where people shared freely and, and, and loved each other and appreciated each other. And I want every human being to have that. And churches should be places people are fighting to get into because they are loving and joyous and peaceful and patient and kind. And there are forces in the church today that are pushing us right back to Pharisee land, right? So I, I don't know, but like you, I get exhausted with what, why does the church exist if we're not doing that? And how do we encourage young clergy and laity to take up that mantle and do better than we've done it? Because I think we've gotten way too CEO performance oriented and had people who, you know, I know people who've taken disciple Bible study, every one of them, and they wear all the pins and they treat everybody badly. And it's really not about what you know, it's about, are you perfected in love? And John Wesley was the king of that, right? Come on. That's what we're working for. So um, exhaustion, spiritual exhaustion, exhaustion of, of feeling like you're doing everything you can and you're not getting the results you want. And so I think the church has to recalibrate. And that's what our conversation is going to be about for the next few years. Where have we missed out on this? And why do most people, when they look at the church, think of judgmental and homophobic and um, just not places they want to be? I uh, just saw the latest uh, results. Few result, fewer than 50% of Americans now have um, church affiliation. And I don't think it's because uh, of doctrine, whether we're too progressive or too conservative. I think it's we've lost sight of the overwhelming need for love and grace. And that's, that's part of the exhaustion. So um, how do we get past this? And, you know, sometimes I think those spiritual exhaustion, this spiritual exhaustion, this funk I've been in, I think has been of God because it's made me have to start to see that um, we got to work in different ways. I think sometimes God uses our exhaustion to speak clarity to us. And to remind us that we're focused on the wrong thing. And, um, and then sometimes God uses exhaustion too 
as a wake up call because I get it. We can be, we can go over the edge too easily and be in crisis mode. And so um, I'm going to offer a few things, a few images. Uh, One is uh, get help, right? Get help. Um, I've had uh, counseling has done more for me. Golly, get a counselor. If, If your exhaustion you think is, has issues and is affecting you in a way that you need help and you think it's mental exhaustion, get that. If it's, if it's just spinning your wheels and not knowing clarity or focus in your lives, whether you're clergy or like, get a coach, somebody who can help you. Okay. Let's, let's focus on this. Uh, sometimes I need somebody, I just feel like I'm thrown in a million different directions and I need somebody to say, you cannot survive trying to do a million different things. Why don't you get somebody to help you focus on three? Okay, that'd be helpful. Or what I've settled on and what has been really fruitful for me is a spiritual director. Because I need somebody in my life to remind me of the vision of Christ. To remind me who we are and what we're here for. To remind me of my focus and just not to lose heart. And to remind me that I've got to spend time with God, that I've got to have spiritual practices. And and I will say this, no matter what exhausted you are, surround yourself with three or four people who love you and who uh, you will allow speak into your world. That is my other secret sauce, man. Well, I have have three things, spiritual director, uh, spiritual director, coach, or counselor, I think it's good. I have three covenant sisters and we know each other and we speak truth to each other and we are there at a moment's notice. And that has been life-giving to me. And when you spent 23 years with people, you, you know each other and you know, I, you know, they know exactly how I'm going to react and they can speak truth into that. And then the third thing is, um, I think is to keep Sabbath and, um, and, you know, this is this is the image I give. A lot of people want renewal leave or they want a long vacation. And I never had that until a couple of years ago. But I think what kept me moving and sane was I had a tune up every week. I had Sabbath every week. People look at me now and say, um, well, you're a bishop. How do you keep Sabbath? I'm a bishop. That's why I keep Sabbath. I mean, there is no way I could survive my life without Sabbath. I've got to have one day out of seven where I have focus on the one who created me and called me and speaks to me. Uh, It is a day where I unplug, where I look for beautiful things and do what restores my soul and, and, and read stuff that's edifying. But uh, if you don't have Sabbath, claim it. You can go years without long-term renewal. If you have a weekly And God knows this, right? So, and that doesn't, that means I bust my butt for the other six days. Uh, If you want great books on Sabbath, there are some great books on Sabbath. Um, There's a great one called uh, 24-6. That's a good one. Um, And uh, uh, who was the, uh, Marva Dawn wrote a beautiful, beautiful book on Sabbath that I still go back to that taught that Sabbath, you know, when God gave Sabbath, he gave it, well, first of all, he commands uh, the leaders of the houses to impose that on all of their family and their animals. So you have a responsibility to keep Sabbath for your whole household. 
and your children and your pets. <laughs> that it's, I mean, I'm serious. I think everybody needs a, a recalibration day. And um, so it was, that was the command. And the command was do it because if God rested, why shouldn't you have to? <laughs> that's, you know, that's true. And um, the other part was you were slaves in Egypt and you didn't have that luxury and now you're free. And part of freedom is having Sabbath. And part of freedom is having Sabbath. And I know I'm, I'm privileged to be able to take a day of Sabbath, but even an hour, even two hours, but create time. And then the Jews have an understanding that the, the, the time before Sabbath is prepare, right? So I will bust my butt. I will be, Friday is my Sabbath. I will be, I will work until midnight on Thursday, busting my butt to free Friday. So the whole week is about preparation. And you watch Jews prepare for Sabbath, right? It's an elaborate ritual. And then um, the days after Sabbath, the remembrance. I remember how great it was. I remember I have another one coming. And I remember why I do it, because it's life-giving. And to me, I look back on my life and the worst time in my life when I was really on the verge of a breakdown, when I was miserable, was when I was practicing law 24-7. And Saturday and Sunday were only different because I was wearing shorts, right? And it was horrible. It was a horrible existence. So in some way, keep Sabbath. I think that will help with your exhaustion more than anything else. And uh, really important. Now, there is um, in the Christian realm uh, an exhaustion that goes beyond even spiritual exhaustion. It's an exhaustion that is soul killing. And I think that a lot of the most religious folks I know, not even re religious, but those most like Christ I know, are especially... Uh, they can succumb to this because they see how broken the world is and they see the world as God sees the world and they're heartbroken. And Mother Teresa writes about this kind of exhaustion. St. Francis writes about this kind of exhaustion. And the word for it from uh, Christian practice long ago is acedia, A-C-E-D-I-A, acedia. And that is a spiritual exhaustion that goes beyond what most people even comprehend. But if you sense you're moving in the dark realm of acedia because it is discouraging, um, then definitely get spiritual help and um uh, the best, the best book of it is, uh, it's called Acedia, A-C-E-D-I-A and Me by Kathleen Norris and Kathleen Norris, everything she writes is beautiful. I'd recommend it to you. But if you have just exhaustion that doesn't, won't let you go, uh, she had that and she has some insights into it. So, um, that's something I just felt like I needed to mention because sometimes there is soul killing and it really is, uh, it, it really is a battle against powers and principalities. It is a darkness of the soul that um, really, I think the most holy people get it because they're a threat, right? And um, the forces of evil and, and uh, Satan, I'm just gonna say it, uh, they, they're gonna, that's like their last recourse to pull down the saints of the world. So uh, that's one thing I just wanted to mention. The last thing I'll mention that I'll close out with is, um, Another, this has really helped me. Uh, Margaret Wheatley is a, actually she's a um, management consultant. She does huge corporations, but she really has moved into a more spiritual realm. She wrote a great book called uh, Margaret Wheatley, W-H-E-A-T-L-E-Y. Who do we choose to be? Facing reality, claiming leadership, 
and restoring sanity. And this book was so helpful to me because she just names it. She says, you know what? Our, our culture, our country is crumbling and it's to be expected. And she goes back into history. Every major um, nation has, there's a lifespan and ours is, our country is going through toward the end and needs to recreate itself. And so she just traces how that happens. But then she says, when we're in a world like this, where there's crumbling on so many fronts that our job, and I love this and take this image with you, is to create an island of sanity in the midst of the chaos. Create an island of sanity in the midst of the chaos. And that's what the cabinet and I have been working like crazy to do. Um, we are there for each other. We're supportive of each other. And we, we try to lift up the fruits of the spirit to clearly seek Christ together, to hold each other accountable. But we feel like many times we are one, one island of sanity in a chaotic world, in a chaotic realm. And um, so find your island, right? Find your island. If you are a local church pastor, find four or five people who are life-giving to you in your church and create your island and model Christ. And what Margaret Wheatley says is, uh, hopefully it'll spread, right? Hopefully it'll spread in your family. I'm, I'm really, uh, my whole time, we will be a force for peace in each other's lives. There's a reason in weddings where the prayer is that God will establish your home in peace. So uh, my family has always been an island of sanity in a world of chaos, and we work hard at it. But to create your island, because then you know, if nothing else, you can sit around with each other and go, this is crazy crap. <laughs> you can at least have conversation partners and prayer partners and, you know, have some joy in the midst of the chaos. So find your island. Find your island. And then the last thing uh, that Margaret Wheatley said, I, I heard a lecture she did that was just beautiful. She said, you know, people are behaving badly all around. My Church pastors are all I can give you a litany of bad behavior. Um, we see bad behavior all around us, politically, um, all around. And, and Margaret Wheatley said, the danger is we'll give up hope. The danger is we won't speak into it. The danger is we'll just write these people off and cut them off and not speak to them again. But she said, don't do it. Don't do it because the world needs folks willing. I mean, and this is where John Wesley was powerful. Every human being has the Holy Spirit of Christ in them, every human being. So if we truly believe that, then we are called to look for that in every human being. And so we've got to do that. We have got to be the people looking and calling on people to do better and calling for people's better angles and angels, calling for people to, to, you know, set the bar higher. And if we don't do it, then who will? If the church won't insist on love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and faithfulness and generosity and self-control, who will? If we aren't looking at the people everybody else writes off and everybody else cuts off and everybody else treats with contempt, if we don't look for Christ in them, if we don't speak a word of grace to them, if we don't show um, relationship, who will? And that's what I think Christ calls us to. I love 
this is my paraphrase and it's not verbatim scripture, but remember that Jesus said, if you love people who love you back, big whoop, big whoop. So we are to love the unlovable. We are to look for Christ. Even when people are yelling at us and mean and ugly, we are to call them to a better way. We are to not kill a relationship unless, you know, we need to send somebody else in because we're being destroyed. And sometimes I feel like we're tag team, right? <laughs> I've had enough of dealing with them. You can <laughs> go be gracious. You go be gracious today. This is your assignment. But we have a big job. And I have to believe that what Jesus knew was that if we love the unlovable, if we are there for those who nobody else is there for, if we gather in and love and create communities that are life-giving and joyous and loving and keep that image there because it can't die, if that's who we can, if we are that, there are people hungry for that who will flock to that and the world will take note. That was the whole, that was the whole point Jesus made in his farewell discourse. It's in your unity with me and your unity with each other that people will see God. So um, I hope you will make time and space to soothe your souls. I'd hope you will take Sabbath time. I hope you will get help if you need help. I hope you will um, just take time to celebrate something. <laughs> in your life. Uh, it is beautiful outside right now. I'm looking at green grass that was brown a week ago. That all, I always marvel at that. It's brown and then all of a sudden it's green. Uh, I marvel at, uh, you know, a pet or something that gives you joy, a, a music, piece of music that's beautiful. Um, and then if you need clinical help or you need really major help, ask for it. Look for it. Uh, one thing, you know, I'm really encouraged. I have a friend who um, told me finally, she said, I finally had to just acknowledge I'm an alcoholic and I've been on Zoom and it's been a gift. So never has it been easier to link in for help, to link in for better uh, places. And uh, thanks, Linda. Yes, I only love God as much as the person I love the least. And we've forgotten that. I mean, I really feel like these days the church wants to become a club where everybody looks alike and thinks alike and acts alike. But I think that is absolutely contrary to the gospel. Absolutely contrary to the gospel. Uh, if you look at the early church, and I, you know, I wonder, I, I, I think maybe it was painted a little too prettily in the, in the gospels. But if you look at the early church, you had Romans and you had Jews. You had slaves and you had slaveholder. In slave folks, you had those who held them. You had, you know, it was just a remarkable um, mixture. And, uh, you know, the Pentecost picture we have is people from all nations in all places speaking of the words of God together. So we have the images of, of how beautiful this could be if we would summon the Holy Spirit to bind us together and bind us to God again. So I pray that uh, if anything, if nothing else comes of this, reclaim your spiritual practices, reclaim a time and space. And remember, uh, all you are weary and heavy laden, come to Jesus, he'll give you rest. He is merciful, he is gracious. He loves you more than you can even imagine. And he wants only 
what is life-giving and best for you. So I leave you with that. I hope these words have been helpful on this day after um, Easter. Uh, it, is, um, it is an exhausting time, but I'm looking for what God is teaching me in the midst of this exhaustion. And uh, I hope you will too, because I think there are some lessons to learn and um, some things to be, to be uh, pondered. And so take time to ponder. It's great being with you. I pray uh, that you will uh, have a lot. You know, I love Jesus kept showing back up, right? How many, we have many weeks of Easter coming. <laughs> it's not one day. And so um, I think that's just a sign to us. Jesus keeps showing up. Just keep your eyes open because the resurrection is all around us for those who have eyes to see it. Get some rest. Enjoy spring in all its beauty and uh, take an antihistamine and enjoy. At the Table is produced by Sybil Davison and edited by Kim Drobes. Music is by Chuck Bell. Thank you, and I look forward to the next time we are together.